Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Really dumb. Welcome back to the Really 007 podcast for this second part of our in-depth review of From Russia With Love. From the only movie ever with a chest absurd plot comes a spy thriller slicker than a gunshot with a crimson headed icon adorned with the gender specs who's never afraid to get the mission done using sex. But not hers, oh no, she's not interested in the least. So she calls in the hottest piece of ass. Really, double assist. Quick meeting after work with the one and only Miss Bianchi. A little back in of her own, she reaches out and grabs a knee. She's a good cop, bad cop, handful in one red top package. Now looking for a unit who is slicker than your average Helicopter truck to go and see our man Mr. Bobby Shaw He's big and blonde and beautiful and without a single flaw But she needs to check him out, she just makes him stand right good Test out his defenses with the breast next to the gut Happy with a man, she's just straight back over to Spectre While behind her back, James Bond is turning Bianchi over a lecture We head on to the finale with my guy, the time is flu Getting to the top, our Rosa points the knife out of her shoe Her plan all in a mess, she's in a fight to end it all Then stabbed by her own poison, she orgasms up a Really, Dublin. And I think she just came herself to death Look, I haven't time for these adolescent antics. That was uh, Rob Parker's Rosa Kleb rap. Thanks for that, Rob. (laughs) So we get to the theme song and the title sequence. Now, like we say, sometimes you watch the Bond films out of order, so you might think this was a little unusual because we've got the From Russia With Love theme tune, but as an instrumental for the opening credits, and then it gorgeously seeks into the James Bond theme. And this composition is called Bond Back in Action. It's become quite famous, I think, as one of uh, John Barry's main instrumentals. And it sort of serves to highlight how good John Barry is, I think. And it's his first stamp of authority on the series because it was Monty Norman who scored the first Bond film. 
and is credited with coming up with, uh, of course, the, the Bond theme. They did have a court battle that Barry lost to try and get it off him, but it seems to be that the sort of Bond, the melody, of course, might have been Norman's, but the arrangements and the orchestration of it is purely John Barry, and, and that's the reason it basically sacked uh, Monty Norman, I think, and, hi- and hired Barry on the basis of that uh, for this film. So we've got John Barry. Uh, of course, he, he went on to do 10 more films, uh, missed the odd alternate ones in the late 70s and 80s. His last one was uh, Living Daylight's unbelievable score, and we'll, <laughs> we'll be talking about that, of course, coming up. But in terms of the actual pre-title sequence, again, you, you think, oh, it must be Morris, Morris Binder because it's such a famous title sequence with the, the Gypsy Girls and all that. But he apparently had disagreement with the producers and so he was replaced by a gentleman called Robert Brownjohn. So despite his stellar work in Doctor No, he uh, he missed this one. He then missed Goldfinger, and he came back, uh, Binder came back for Thunderball, as in when was involved in all of them up to Licence to Kill, uh, before he did die, uh, I think a couple of years after that came out. So even though Binder is, of course, the man everyone thinks of when you think of James Bond title sequences, Brown John is actually the one who um, started the trend of scantily clad women in in the opening credits. What what yeah. did you guys what did you guys make of it? And I think you know to give him his credit, at least he does tie it into you know belly dancers that actually appear later on. At least there is. It's not just the the female form for the sake of it, even though you could argue it is. But I think what's interesting about that, like you say, the title sequence is that it is. Like you first, it's just like dipping your toe into those those like so Morris Binder kind of titles that isn't him, but it feels like it's him. But also the music is like this sort of Blackpool organ Wurlitzer version of, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of the theme yeah. music, which is fantastic. Yeah. It's like it's it's you know you can imagine it would be it would be great if it ended with you know an organ rising out onto the screen with someone you know john barry or maybe even sean connery playing the world it's i think (laughs) it's it's this kind of again it's like it's (laughs) (laughs) but again like as a kid you you see this and and you 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 come and, and you expect that all all bond films are fully formed that they are yeah, gun yeah. barrel title sequence you know that that and then the, and the music you know the theme song with the lyrics and this isn't it's kind of like you can really see the evolution and it works really well and i think it's uh i think it's you know it's not it's not probably the best kind of title title sequence but it's you can see its influence on you know a half a dozen bond films and it's kind of nice to see where that kind of that that germ of of inspiration comes from and how it kind of you know evolved over the years but i i like it and i like that it does again it's you know it's it isn't hitting right you know i suppose later on when you become a little bit cynical and you watch it's kind of it is a box ticking like right okay here's the song and you kind of sit there and you wait for it to end and it's like right okay now we can get into it but this feels much more kind of organic and uh particularly these early films are because it is obviously new to them as well it's not kind of them just kind of rehashing what 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 else you know what else what, how many times can we project something onto a woman's torso you know <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. but I, I really like the old sequence. Yeah, it looks like say, <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> indeed. It's the same color palette, really, from Doctor No, though, as well. It's kind of just uh, it's evolved yeah. in terms of its design. 
it's quite an odd comment to make, and I don't know if it's uh, appropriate, but um, on my <laughs> on my big screen, <laughs> watching it in HD, I've never seen. That's out of the whole film. That was the most crystal clear image. Yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Up close, like belly down. Like I don't know if you have the same image quality, but like yeah. you could see but like goosebumps on the body and everything. It was like crystal <laughs> clear on that title design. <laughs> yeah, you know, do do <laughs> what you want with that information, but it's in it's in my notes. <laughs> yeah. It's in well, yeah, yeah, and it's good. It's, 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 detail is important. I, th- <laughs> I think. I think, me, uh, I think you've got to give you. <laughs> you've got to give him credit first of all because it's like it is a it is a not I'm not going to say a step up but it's a very it's a different turn from the Doctor No ones which don't involve human you know any humans on it and stuff. But I think when I think of both from Russia Love and Goldfinger, they pretty much are only. Uh, you are just projecting titles on silhouettes of bodies, and it is quite—it's quite basic in a lot of ways. Now, when you get to Thunderball and, um, oh, sorry, I've had a uh, mind blank. What's his name? Morris Binder. Morris Binder comes back. Um, you start getting the water theme coming in. It, it takes it a step up, doesn't it? It takes it further. But I do think fair play to him because he obviously, he's obviously started that idea with what he's got. It's like a prelude to the film in a way, isn't it? It's like, here's here's more of what's coming up. Exotic women and the music. In fact, funny you should say that, um, Chris, about the Blackpool Verlitzer type of feel to the music. But apparently the, the original instrumental of this had an, had an added organ on it, but it, it apparently they sounded too kitsch and they, they removed it. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, but, no, but John John Barry he didn't go full also. Phoenix Nights. No, yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah. Don't go full Paul Shane. Yeah, it was too. Paul Shane thought he was broad. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So eventually, <laughs> uh, when John Barry uh, went got on board, he visited Istanbul. I think with Terence Young and uh, possibly some others as well. In a, in a bid to kind of get, get some of the sound of Istanbul, you know, of Turkey, this exotic sound and. I think it sounds like they just had a load of beer and some great nights out and came back with very little in the way of music and just just sort of um, did their own thing anyway, really. So the, I think it's a great piece of music. I love yeah, 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 great. I but really of course, it's, it's not the actual From Rush With Love song is a Lionel Bart song. It's, it's not a John Barry. But again, it's famous because of the, the arrangement. It sounds so John Barry that it, you, you sort of assume it is. But yeah, he uh, Lionel Bart, of course. He he's most famous for his the musical Oliver, based on the Oliver Twist, of course, and the film that 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 became with some absolute cracking songs in that. And he he also, uh, good fact, he wrote Cliff Richard's big number one hit, Living Doll. Didn't know that either. Again, very few people over, under the age of <laughs> sixty will be really having much much of those songs in their head. But Oliver, certainly Oliver's stood the test of time. I did. I watched it recently. The film is superb. Um, but I think he Lionel Bart he belting film. But crashed. Yeah, I think he crashed and burned quite young and really struggled to replicate the success of all that. And that was pretty much it. He was done in terms of his output. But yes, the the actual song itself uh, comes at the end. So we'll 
we'll park that for now, as, as they say in, in legal circles. So we go into the the, the main film. We've we've just had uh, the, we've we've just seen Bond and uh, fake Bond and Grant, and then we've had the title sequence. We then have this chess match in Venice. So in effect, the film begins and ends in Venice. Nothing to do with Russia. Again, the title is quite misleading. But uh, yeah, the first thing I thought when I was looking at my when reading my notes now was that the set is so good. It's so elaborate. And it wasn't uh, it wasn't the great man Ken Adam. It was Sid Kane who 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 did this because Ken Adam had been offered the gig for Doctor Strangelove, the Stanley Kubrick. I ironically, Sid Kane had just done Lolita for Stanley Kubrick. So I, th- I know they mainly worked in Britain, but you can see the sort of caliber of the the production design on on the Bond films. And uh, yeah, I think we'll, we'll we'll be doing an episode forthcoming on Ken Adam. Ken Adams sets, but Sid Kane, he he did um, he, he was involved quite a lot as a production designer uh, not perhaps the number one man, he of course did Doctor No he also did On a Manchester Secret Service so again you, you think of that as a Ken Adam film, but it wasn't actually uh, and he also did Live and Let wow. Die wow, yeah so a pretty underrated guy in the, in the sort of Bond family another amazing thing that uh, Sid Kane did was that he created many of the gadgets because, of course, they're part of the production design. So he came up with the attaché case, and we'll get on to that gorgeous scene later. He also came up with the the Rolex with the razor blade in Live and Let Die. So a pretty talented guy who doesn't really seem to get much mention in the, in the history of the franchise. Very underrated guy. This guy's like legendary status by the sounds of it. Yeah, wow. I love that, that you're saying that... that. You know, you, you sort of the film sort of gently get, gets into the scene. It opens up, and it's a chess tournament that's also being televised, and there's an audience. It's like <laughs> it's fantastic. It's like yeah. how, how you know, again, like very sophisticated, and like you know, and obviously, like um, there's this there's a sort of wide shot where it goes to you know the the, the ceiling is clearly a matte painting, and it's just yeah, those yeah. kind of that, right. that that beautifully done though. So. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's just, uh, but I, yeah, matte paintings, are just so beautiful. Yeah, it's a kind of. It costs them money, though. I think it's expensive. It just has that again. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Apparently, it cost one hundred and fifty thousand dollars just for this set. So that's like quite a big chunk of the budget on what two or three minutes of the film. But fair enough. But it, it's very much trying to set up like the the film, isn't it? In terms of the. Um, there's that there's that metaphor, isn't there, of the yes. big chess match? Yes. And Spectre are playing Bond like a chess piece, aren't they? Absolutely. Really? You know? yeah. and, um, Chessboard, isn't it? It, it yeah. sets it up brilliantly. And still so little dialogue. You know, we've had yeah. the prologue, the opening title, and then it's still a long time before we have any clear cut dialogue. I, I always expected Yeah, I, I mean I'm t- well, to go to a, a chess well, never been to a chess match, but if you ever saw a chess match on TV would they have that lovely sort of tapestry type effect where they're moved on the wall like that? It's so good, isn't it? <laughs> if you ever see anybody at a chess match who drinks with the coaster stuck to the bottom of their glass, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. right, you know that they are going to finish that <laughs> game off quickly and they are getting out of that room ASAP. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, it's I a mean, funny technique. apparently it was a famous it's brilliant, isn't it? That, that you know, I mean, that would make you suspicious. An earlier match or something. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Apparently so, yeah. I mean, people, the the mainstream public must have been far more into chess then than they were than they are now <laughs> to to recognise something like that. It was big well, at school. You you just wouldn't get people sat round like that at a chess match anymore, would you? You know, you would you certainly wouldn't have someone with that massive hook who's going to be placing the pea on the board. <laughs> it's all just going to be interactive now, isn't it? You know. Yeah, yeah, bring it back to the old school. I want to get a yeah. for Christmas yeah. with a, so I can put <laughs> white knight to you know. To or is the, it just uh, a, is it just a spider from? Is it a snooker cue? I don't know. It uh, could be, couldn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should try and recreate our uh, uh, get one of them garden chess pieces, stick it to a wall, and uh, <laughs> let's see if we can do it with a spider. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to really good lesson with Alan Partridge. <laughs> Idea for <laughs> yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> we take fat people from the inner city. Sky, Sky, I'll do it if you will. <laughs> Going back to Sid Kane, he other films that he did. Uh, he's done a lot of Roger Moore films, Roger Moore action films. So the Shout at the Devil, Wild, the Wild Geese, One and Two, and uh, the Sea Wolves. So he's done those. He also did the Alfred Hitchcock film Frenzy in the seventies and Alien Three. So quite a quite an impressive CV. The production design is quite important in that film, if I remember. Incredibly, as well, he was a storyboard artist, and he storyboarded. Uh, I mean, these incredible three films. These you'll like this. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I mean, that must have been pretty difficult to storyboard, wasn't it? Um, likewise, The Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> And and finally, Goldeneye. Could, could this guy get any more underrated? Wow, goodness me! I think we need a, a, a podcast episode on this guy alone. By the sound <laughs> yeah. of it, who is he? Sid Kane, Michael Kane. <laughs> do anything. Sid Kane. <laughs> <laughs> Terence Young apparently wanted. We'll go. We'll get on to the, the, the main guy in the scene. We haven't mentioned him, uh, Alexi Kronstein, and he, of course. Uh, Perhaps not in it as much as I remember, but he's he's quite a prominent role. Terence Young wanted the guy who was played him to be an actor with a remarkable face, so that uh, even though he's a minor character, the audience would would remember him well. So this led to the casting of the Polish actor Vladek Shebal, who was actually recommended by his friend Sean Connery. And um, yeah, Terence Young thought he would be convincing as an intellectual. I suppose it's quite difficult when you don't you're not in it that much and you've got to convey that to the audience that you're a genuine chess player but you're also a KTV agent uh, using mead sorry that was a uh, slipping into living daylight <laughs> it's smurfs actually at this stage isn't it not- <laughs> he, the only other thing I know about this chap was he he appeared in quite a lot of Ken Russell films actually and uh, the silly version of Casino Royale now I'm not going to tell you which one that is. Of course, it's the uh, it's the comedy one. <laughs> no, no, of course. Yeah. That still Stop doesn't talk. answer, does it? But no, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. me. <laughs> Alexi Kronstein, are, are you are you a big fan of this guy? I know he's not in it much, but he's. Uh, he makes quite an impact. Right. Yeah. I like to say Terence Young. It's like he's got such an interesting face. You know, yeah, you, you wouldn't cast him nowadays. He, you know, he, he's gone in the days of all these great character actors. Completely, you know, always memorable. Always, you know, even no matter how big the role is, I think he's great. It's, like you say, he, he seems to be absolutely perfect. I completely buy him as the shifty, 
spy or you know kind of villain but also as a chess player as well yeah and he's, he's got that intellectual pride as well hasn't he kind of he 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 can believes his own hype in terms of his intellectuality but and like you say tommy is in it less than i thought i think it's partly because he yeah. kind of is at the beginning and the end and not yeah, the middle yeah. at all um but yeah but he's critical he told, of the plot of course because it's his, he, uh, he's aware of his idea most of cronstein's scenes you say oh in a chess room no no in, on a yacht no it's true he's um He's not forgetting his hands dirty, is he? He's very much like he's he's, <laughs> he's not going to get rid of you know he's all he's going to go to bed in his blazer and his dicky bill basically. This guy is like very suave and sophisticated. <laughs> I mean, even the way he's even the way he smokes a cigarette, it's uh, well, it's very highbrow, isn't it? And um, you think to yourself, he's one of these guys who's going to come in. I've got a brilliant plan. This is what I'm going to do, but you're going to execute it. I'm not getting it. I'm going back to my chess match. You know, and it's very much like that with it. Uh, you're right, Harry. He's incredibly egotistical. He has that line at the end, who yeah. is Bond compared to Kronstein and all that, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I really like him. I really, really like him. I, I think, yeah, he's great. This film has, for me, brings the best out of Spectre. Um, there is a, there's an amazing sense of characters personality with them and um so many of them as well as from being high highly critical you could probably write this film without Kronstein you could quite easily have um Blofeld sat in his chair tell this to Cleb and to um and to uh, Morzeni or whatever and she go and do it and Kronstein wouldn't need to be in it but having said that the film's all the better for Kronstein so, because because of his face, you know, he is just got because of his face. He's got a face like uh, Vincent Chiavelli, like Doctor Kaufman. is instantly oh, recognizable yeah. face as a yeah, yeah, you know, character face. I think if Cronstein was be. in The Apprentice, it'd be one of those candidates <laughs> that you you don't like in the first episode. You really don't like them in the second episode, but in the third episode, you begin to get obsessed with them and you want them to win. You're rooting for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Basically, Stuart bags the brand. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. Underrated. Heroin. Yeah. <laughs> Just going back to the scene, it... It's another twist. So we've had the twist where Bond is revealed to not actually, well, be dead. The audience is shocked at that twist. Then the shock that, no, he's alive again. So that must, that's all right. It wasn't him. And then it's, it is a bit of a twist that this guy we've just been presented as a chess master just casually then walks onto the uh, Blofeld's yacht. So he's he's actually, actually a baddie. Because, again, you, when you look back at them now, you, you knew that. So it wasn't a shock. But if you just watch it with fresh eyes... I thought that would have been quite interesting for the audience. So yeah, we we say that this is the the first sort of big film that has Spectre as its centre. It was, I think, briefly mentioned in Doctor No, but of course it's Blofeld's first appearance, and uh, we're on his we're on his yacht now uh, in this next scene. Interesting at this stage, of course, his face is still hidden from the audience, and we wouldn't see his face famously until um, Donald Pleasance's appearance in You Only Live Twice. If you notice, actually, he is wearing the Spectre ring, and it's exactly the same design that was used for for the artwork of the of the recent film, wasn't it? 
which was another trying way of sort of hemming that back to the 60s, I think. It was one of their intentions, isn't it, when they got the rights back, that the, the fans will love this, which probably did for the film in the end because it, it tried to tie up all the all the plots of the the the, the baddies, the antagonists in the... <laughs> oh, dear, we've done it again. Anyway, so... Yeah, not 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 only uh, <laughs> do we, do we, not only do we not see uh, uh, Blofeld at this point, but we it's the first appearance of the cat. So although you might think classically the cat's associated with the only the twice and all that, it, this is the first appearance of the cat, um, which would go on again to be one of these things you see is a cliche of a baddie and a James Bond baddie, but quite striking imagery. Yeah, I think that cat's quite scary as well. It's the only one, because we don't see Blofeld's face, that cat is looking at number three and number five, is it looking at Cronstein and Kleb? And it almost, the, it looks like the cat's looking down the lens at one point. Like, look, It's pretty yeah. scary, I think. It's quite unusual, <laughs> yeah. an unusual feeling that it gives you that the cat is watching them during this meeting. Um, that's quite clever, and I don't know how they've somehow managed to create that feeling of a, a, a cat creating that that horrible atmosphere yeah. in the room i mean another reason for me why it's quite harrowing is is, is that blofeld uses the analogy of siamese fighting fish yeah um, and then all of a sudden he uses this analogy and then he gives and then he gives a fighting fish for the cat to eat so it's almost like yeah, yeah. visual <laughs> yeah. that the cat's superior overall isn't it really yeah like specter he strikes that, that he, he was fighting fish though is quite uh, amazing though as yeah. well because I, that's really, I know, they, it's, it's like um, they couldn't get him to fight. So that's Peter Hunt's hour. first fight scene in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, really? But the way it's yeah. chopped up and cut together, it it's really like you know it's cut and speed sped up, and it is like an intense fight. But that makes sense. I didn't realize that Tom that they had to yeah. really put together whatever footage they had. Uh, again, we've said that Peter Hunt and Terence Young had to re-edit the entire... Well, they didn't have to, but they decided to re-edit the order of quite a lot of the first few scenes. The, the scene wouldn't have made sense because of the, the things that they changed around. So they had to change dialogue. But the budget was gone, they'd overspent, and there was no studio time available. So basically Terence Young was told, no, sorry, you can't go back, back there. You'll have to cut it out of what you've got. Luckily, of course, Blofeld's face wasn't seen, so they could dub over his lines, change those lines. That was fairly easy. But uh, Klebs couldn't be couldn't be dubbed. So this is one of the first times another pioneering move in cinema. They actually, if you look at one of the shots of Kleb in the scene, it's sort of zoomed in using the backdrop from an earlier shot of her, almost like the first green screen, as far as I'm aware. So, and then she added the news li- the new wow. lines. So she she I think she recorded the new lines. They filmed her, but not on the set, and then used that as a back screen almost. So again, incredibly pioneering, mm. done out of accident, but yes. accidentally accidentally made this amazing thing. Also in that scene, you'll actually notice if this is quite interesting. There's a shot of Kleb going towards the fish uh, to to sort of. Uh, I don't know whether she's going towards Blofeld. She goes towards a fish, and it it seems slightly unusual, her movements in it. That's because of the change in dialogue. She It was actually the shot of her leaving the fish, going back from the fish to her seat, but done in reverse. So both uh, shots are in the final take. They've, they've used them both. So it looks like her weird movements again, which you'll see as if she was wearing the dagger then in her, in her foot. But... Uh, 
it's pretty incredible how they managed to, to put that together. Peter Hunt's a genius, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he is. Such a shame that he only directed one, but we will we will come to it to that gentleman in greater detail. What a one! Yeah, yeah. what oh, was oh. it? Yeah. <laughs> we need about ten hours worth of material. On <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And we said that we're in one of the early scenes in From Us We Love still on this uh, podcast. Yes. So the <laughs> actor who, who actually played number one in terms of provided his hands and and his torso was uh, Anthony Dawson, who played um, uh, Professor Dent, of course, in Doctor No. It's almost like they, they get the mates involved, don't they? Like, oh, you're you're around on set. You, you can do this for now. Just just stand in. Because uh, obviously they didn't use his his voice. Oh, certainly. They, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They, they used um, a Viennese actor, Eric Pullman, apparently, for his lines. I don't know whether they wanted a certain set uh, voice that his wasn't. But his his voice and Dawson's body were used again in Thunderball, which is quite unusual, isn't it? Like you, there's no way that would happen now. In fact, in, in the first tranche of Bond films, there's so much dubbing going on with, with the actors, and we'll, we'll get onto that with Daniela Bianchini later. I mean, in terms of um, in terms of that, I mean, it might be more a commentary in the fact that I never think that I don't think that Blofeld's been perfected on screen yet. Um, I think there's certainly better performances than others but we're not going to go into that because we'll just go into a craig dissection again but uh <laughs> having said that um i actually think that this may be my favorite portrayal of blofeld <laughs> mm, yeah uh, and i think it's the mystery surrounding it yeah uh, menace as well i mean especially if, if you weren't if you weren't um a reader of the books and you went to that film completely blind and you thought, who is this guy? And you never found out. And then you get to the end credits, and it has a question mark on the end yes, credits. Yes. And the element of mystery that I, I, I would just, and then he comes back two films later, and he's doing the exact same thing, and you still don't know. You just hear this, who is number one? I just think it's the best portrayal of Blofeld to this day. I still do. For some reason, because up, you it gets you imagining what he you could be like. See him. And we yes. did, when we when we did, that's why when we do in You Only Live Twice it is quite a big moment. And um, never mind the the, the huge uh, cut along his face, but it's it's just quite a big moment to be able to see him. If you're enjoying the Weirdy 007 podcast, why not follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter? Effective immediately. We're not a country club 007. In this scene, we we hear of uh, Spectre's plan, which is to steal the lecture from the Russians, uh, using the traditional babe as a bait motif, of course. Um, even though they know that uh, the British know it is a trap, they sort of reference that we know Bond and the British are so cocky, they'll we we almost want them to to know it's a trap, and we get, like I say, the reference to Doctor No's death. So we've we touched on her, just mentioned her briefly, but uh, we. Then are introduced to Rosa Klebb, of course. As I say, she's defected from the Russian Secret Service. And I thought what was quite interesting is she's in- introduced as number three. So, presuming Blofeld's number one, that's what the audience are thinking, hang on, who's, who's number two then? And of course, we, we would we'd have to wait uh, for Thunderbolt to, to meet Largo. But all these little things that create a mystery for the audience, you didn't, I don't know, maybe you didn't realize that growing up watching them out oh. of order. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. And we still don't know who number four is to this day. Oh, him and 005 are 
having pina coladas in Miami somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> or her, or her. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, uh, Rosa Klebb, absolute classic villain. Again, one of the, the, the immediately comes to mind, doesn't she, as is, is one of the all-time great uh, Bond villains. The, the actress, the Greek actress, Katina Paxinau, was originally considered for the role. Um, but of course, uh, it, it did it did uh, go to Lottie Lenya, who's actually a singer primarily uh, for most of her career. But she, I think, had just come um, she could just come off the back uh, the back of a getting best supporting Oscar, best supporting actress Oscar nomination for a film called The Roman Spring of Mrs. Rome, unusual title. Um, but her real name was uh, Caroline Blaumeyer. She, of course, uh, she was actually Austrian, and Lottie Lenya was her stage name. So it was another slightly unusual bit of casting, but again, you can't. She wasn't dubbed, as far as I'm aware. Uh, so you got to you got to give a massive credit for her performance. Outstanding casting. She uh, she's frightening, isn't she? She's absolutely yeah. Scary. Well, for someone who's five foot one or whatever she is. She, growing up, she was one of the. She's oh, absolutely absolutely terrified of her. I think I also I shouldn't I shouldn't have seen it with too young, but the the Scorsese De Niro remake of Cape Fear. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And it just remind me of you know when he he kills the I don't know if you've seen it he kills the uh, the maid and oh dear that's one of the scariest things I'd ever seen as a kid and I think Rosa Klebb and that sort of merge into one and I just I find them absolutely terrifying even to today right. <laughs> yeah no you're right I I, I agree there's the, a certain aesthetic to the film as well that um, blends in your memory with certain horror. There's there's certain not necessarily tropes but just things yeah and certainly her image and her portrayal at the end arriving in that disguise um, even sort of um, psycho esque as well kind of you know dressing up it's yeah it's, yeah there's definitely hints there but I don't know if whether it's all fused in my mind from childhood or whether it was sort of that world of cinema coming together anyway. I think one of the things that always scared me with her in that scene about at the end is the wallpaper behind it. It's absolutely <laughs> harrowing that wallpaper with the pattern. And to be honest, that really Blame Sid Kane. Yeah, yeah. Sid Kane, you did it again. You uh, did it deliberately. We had, um, we had a lady at church who 
I don't want to name a name because she passed <laughs> away now, but she um, she used to sell second-hand books, and this lady was the spits of Rosa Klebb, and she frightened <laughs> the life out of me. I wouldn't go near her. She had, she, hair, she had the hair tied back. She wore the long skirt. You know, she wore those. She wore those black, the medium heel boots. I never went near her at church. She frightened the life out of me. <laughs> Ian Fleming described Cleb as toad-like. I think in in the book, toad-like. Oh, yeah. just, oh so harsh in the actress, isn't Repulsive. it? Yeah, yeah I saw this and thought of you. It is again these engaging character actors who perhaps very much unlikely to get cast these days. Often it's like a more glamorous looking uh, person and it's the, it's the character maybe that, that's that's the evil bit. Particularly, I don't know, a lot of the villains these days or characters in films generally just tend to have that face, don't they? A very similar, similar looking faces. Um, and Kronstein and Kleb and Grant, I mean, goodness me, what a trio. You couldn't, <laughs> couldn't pick three different looking people <laughs> to be yeah. leading this expedition. So yeah, we've uh, we then go to Spectre Island. But they pose a threat. Which, uh, they do, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Spectre Island. We get uh, another famous scene. Incredible stuff. We see all these. Uh, well, first of all, yeah, uh, Morzini. I think greets Cleb on off, coming off the helicopter. We've got Grant sunbathing with that babe, um, and then she's Morzini's bigging up Grant, isn't isn't uh, isn't he? Sort of almost sort of saying that this training regime has been so successful. Apparently, they got a lot of um, inspiration off Spartacus for that. Lots of oily, strong men, but again, not not ridiculously ripped as we as we said before. <laughs> <laughs> Which is even there's a lot of there's quite a bit of perv in this film, particularly from Cleb. So he Cleb pretty much pervs on Grant then before she whacks him, and then she famously, you know, pervs on um, Tatiana not too long ago, oh. and then she's in in the bedroom next to your fine looking girl watching the video, yeah. <laughs> And the smoke as well after it. It's it's a very sleazy film. It's a very very what? sleazy film. But it's um it's not like it's not like Diamonds Are Forever where it just feels <laughs> icky into camp. the whole feel of it. It's more. It's not camp. Sle- it's a very sleazy film. But it, no, Diamonds but it's is camp. Completely deliberate and in keeping with what's going on, isn't it? Oh di- yeah, yeah. Diamonds is camp. We're not saying this is camp. No, uh, no. Very sleazy. And it's interesting to, to hear about like red. Grant's past as a convicted murderer and how he escaped yeah, yeah. prison and all this sort of stuff. It's like a proper like forbidden figure. And and also you get one of the, the, the great Bond scenes of watching people being chased by uh, flamethrowers and the training ground. Yeah. And, like I'd like to think like I guess how many people were maimed and killed uh, during the training <laughs> exercises at Spectre Island? Never mind the guy who's yeah. grotted, yeah. It says later, it refers to how well he's come through the training as well. Like, that's why he's right yeah. beside him, because he's one that's come through all this training. He's, it's almost like, you know, um, yeah. you know, survived training, basically, <laughs> which is, uh, uh, you know, impressive. He's described as a homicidal paranoic, isn't he? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we... Eventually, we get to Istanbul, which again must have been quite a big thing at the time to see a British film properly on location somewhere. I know lots of people now might go on holiday all the time, but Bond's particularly in the 60s and 70s, the places where you would never be able to go and there was no chance you could go, especially like Soviet Russia and then especially Japan as well in Young of Twice, really opens up uh, your eyes to these kind of places. 
But the it's worth mentioning actually the cinematographer Ted Moore won a BAFTA for this film. So he also won an Oscar for A Man for All Seasons. Mm. So we've had another another link there. Nice. Yeah, well right, say these Bond films, like kind of British. You know, this is the, sort of the peak of British filmmaking. That that the, the, there's so many sort of varied kind of productions happening. You know, the the, the 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 craftsmanship and the talent working in British cinema is, and that crossover from you know Kubrick's making a film as a Bond film, and it's all sorts of yeah. happening. It's just, it's just, yeah, it's yeah, astonishing how much talent we had. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. It's very true. Unusual, the first scene in Istanbul, it's actually Tatiana chatting with some other, again, very very nice-looking women who all seem to work for the, the Secret Service. Um, but there's no subtitles, so we, we never find out what they were talking about. And then we've got straight into the spy theme again because we've got uh, Tatiana being followed by Grant uh, on the secret meeting with Kleb. So, that again, that must have gone in later because, as I say, Grant wasn't meant to be in Istanbul and they just... I think whilst Robert Shaw had some misgivings with the script, that was probably before he knew he was going to join the action, which I think is crucial, to be honest, when you think about it. So she uh, still thinks Kleb is working for Mother Russia, so she's happy to go along to this meeting. And then, again, it's just it's just scene after scene of famous, amazing, different, different types of scenes. You know, you've got an action scene, you've got a suspense scene, and now you've got, like, a great, weird exposition scene but also manages to be tense and quite awkward it's an absolutely fantastic scene like you say that I don't know if that was a, a kind of you know that, that that she she has a sort of like slightly predatory feel about her where she's like you're fine looking girl and, and you know the, is that just to make her Tatiana feel uncomfortable is it to sort of test or is it her actual feelings I think it is like you say there's, there's you know there's, there's a lot of a lot happening, a lot of subtext, a lot of stuff that isn't, you know, that isn't being spoken, and and you know, and I think that scene is worth it just for those massive glasses that she's wearing that look like yeah. Guinness bottles, you know. <laughs> I think, yeah. uh, and then, again, and, and, and what makes it interesting is that that she is being like she she is she is she's a patriot. She works for you know her government, but she's being fooled. She thinks that she's doing it for her country, when in fact she's not. She's being duped. And I think again, really interesting kind of you know to do with like that real kind of spy thriller. You know, like moles and you know kind of you know double agents and things. I think it just makes it just much more. Well, yeah, it just makes it really rich and you know. Um, and you're never too sure. Are we are we supposed to? Are we supposed to have sympathy for her, Tatiana, or are we supposed to think that she's a bit vacuous? Is she silly to be walking into this? Yeah, or, yeah. or are we supposed to, like, say, have sympathy for her? It's quite an interesting kind of like dynamic. And then you, and then throughout the film, you're kind of thinking. Does she actually really fancy Bond, or is this just? Oh, yeah. Is this? Is she still playing this role? And and you know, where does it sort of? The lines blur quite a lot across that, and again, like I say, it makes it much more interesting. She's not used for I think, anything I think other than film... primarily her looks, is she? Really, in, as t- in terms of mm. the plan, you know, she's. I don't think it's it's implied that she's not I, high I, up, I, for instance, is she in the organisation or anything? No, no. I, I assume she's sort of like you know the, the sort of, uh, typist sort of kind of circle of the yeah, yeah. kind of offices. 
you know, and they, they, they seem, and they seem to know, you know, all about her love, like how many lovers she's had, and like you they three lovers has such a sort of sort of yeah, you know, <laughs> a very easy feel, <laughs> fine looking girl, it, you know. But again, yeah, you're a fine looking girl. I think it's um, <laughs> she just sort of, and and she's not. I don't know. Is she is she, is she that shocked to find out that that her employer, who isn't her employer, knows all about her love life? She doesn't seem to be that kind of bothered. You're right. And there's things, you know, she's prepared to do for the mission. Like, you know, when she meets Bond, she's prepared to be waiting in the bed for yes. it and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you're right, Chris. I, I don't know. That would depend she on the man, line. she said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she she, she doesn't that line between how, looks. how much does she really know what's going on. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, to be honest, going back to that scene, though, it, shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty, um, I don't know, it's pretty forward thinking, isn't it? Especially for the 60s. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, there's very obvious homosexual references, isn't there, um, from from Rosa Klebb? Um, it's very daring. It was. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But apparently it's more subtle than the no, book. I, yeah, like that, that frankness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to talk but about you're right, Harry. History. You just worry slightly. You know, what, did they put? I don't know. It, I don't think it it got that feel of almost making her more of a villain because she she likes women. You know, as in if if there was any suggestion that that was the case now, of course that it wouldn't it wouldn't be in there. But I didn't get that certainly when I watched it again this time. No, no. It's like um, it just happens to be her thing, which she's almost using while she's there doing doing the mission isn't she and she's, she's quite prepared to be overt with it yeah most certainly but then she's also told like essentially if you don't do this yeah. say, you're not going to leave this room alive yeah it's like yeah. well yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll be shocked and then she absolutely we've, uh, we've cracks the whip don't you and it's like using phrases like come come my dear like really sort of <laughs> yeah you know come, mm-hmm. this loving kind of it's, it's... yeah so we've uh, we've mentioned of course Lottie Lenya uh, and now Tatiana Romanova, the the character. Several actresses were considered for the role, and one of those apparently was uh, Tanya Mallet, who went on to play Tilly Masterson in Goldfinger. Another one, again, you can see where the casting decisions go from. We mentioned in Octopussy, well, it was, it was going on at the moment. 1960 Miss Universe runner-up Daniela Bianchi was cast. That's where they usually, yeah. <laughs> apparently, supposedly she was Sean Connery's choice, but I don't know whether that was more who we had the best sort of chemistry with when they do those scenes. And of course, famously the, the scene in the bed <laughs> while she's waiting for him in bed is the one that they use, isn't it for the screen tests. And they, they use that as we mentioned in the octopus episode for yeah. James Brolin, his uh, screen test with Ward Adams. So apparently uh, Daniela Bianchi did start taking these classes for the role. I mean, I don't know how much acting experience she had, but I don't know how good her English was either. But eventually, as with lots of the other Bond girls at the time, the producers chose to have the lines dubbed. So you think about that, don't you, when Connery et al. have got that chemistry with, with her. That's not the voice that he was talking to. You, you know, Again, these are the things you, you don't realise were going on. So she was, she was dubbed by a British stage actress <laughs> called Barbara Jefford. And if you, if you recognise the voice, uh, which you might have done, quite a deeper voice, she also dubbed Molly Peters, who who played the, the nurse in Thunderball. 
and oh. Caroline Munro, Na- Naomi in The Spy Love Me. You know, this is late 70s and we're still dubbing. <laughs> oh, that's disappointing. It's disappointing, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, Bianchi, I've, I've, I mean, like uh, only because, like, Naomi would probably be in my top three Bond girls, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, the, the voice that goes Except with it is all yeah. part of it. Yeah. You know? yeah. And now, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and now. She's not what you thought, like, John. Oh, sorry, Caroline. So sorry. I want to hear your real voice. Yeah. <laughs> so convincing, though. The, you would not think that was a different voice to, to Molly Peters in Thunderbolt, would you? It's absolutely incredible. No, I can't. I still I can't pick the two. I, I don't listen to that. I think, oh yeah, of course it's like you know, Honey Rider and Domino. You can tell it's Nicky Vandersil straight away. They sound exactly yeah. the same, <laughs> but I can't tell at all that those two are the same. So good. Obviously, Daniela Bianchi hasn't done an awful lot of acting. She apparently she retired in 1970, but John, she appeared in what's come to be our favourite go-to film. Okay, Connery, <laughs> and and she was even dubbed in that. <laughs> she was only yeah, twenty-one when she did this. Oh, really? Wow! Yeah, she, I'm just reading the, this the, on IMDb. Yeah, that's amazing. The, the reference to her, there's a reference for training for the ballet, which apparently is was Daniela Bianchi Bianchi's real background, which they threw into the script there. But yeah, we haven't even. Uh, We've not even got to James Bond yet. He's not appeared in this film yet. <laughs> we we finally see him, and it's almost like he's on a he's on a sort of coronavirus, you know, staycation, isn't he? Uh, somewhere somewhere in England near a river, something like that, with, with with Sylvia Trench. And then John, we've got a link, a bit like a bit like oh, Necros. We've got um, we've got Bond listening to the theme song on on radio. As it as it passes uh, by in in a, in a gondola, which is a is a bit unusual, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And is that what inspires him to write it on the photograph later? Brilliant. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I've just thought that now. I don't. Yeah. Never. But he. It could definitely work, couldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Eunice Eunice Gayson, of course. She she played Sylvie Trench in Doctor No. She's probably in that a bit more. And she she refers to doesn't she uh, the past. She, that he's just been on a past mission to Jamaica. So at this stage, Bond has like basically just got her as a bit on the side for when he comes back to England, which is quite unusual now, isn't it? I don't think there's I think apart from Leah Sidhu, which we'll see No Time to Die, he's not he's not had uh, a girlfriend in more than one film. So that's another another first. She was dubbed by the way as well. <laughs> I don't know who I feel Terrence sorry. Terry Jung wanted her to appear in more, didn't he? Yes, yes, I, th- I believe so. Yeah, yeah, I was good. I was then just going to say, Guy Hamilton got rid of her in golfing. Yes, I don't know who I feel sorry for more, Sylvia Trench for being led along, or you know, Honey Rider. Anyway, Honey Rider, I think. For my next miracle, brings us to the first MI6 scene of the film. As Bond is sent back to London, where he is given his mission briefing, there's a quick shot actually of Q, who's waiting outside. That's the first time we see him. He's been, he's basically just like stood there, as almost as if it's a theatre shot, and he's waiting to go on behind the boards. I think this that that, that scene uh, is one of my favourite. Like I suppose we maybe touched on it before that that Bond is actually pleased to be 
you know, getting to the office. He knows that he's going to get a mission. He knows that he's going to get some work done. And he arrives and he's 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 kind of, you know, he's excited, you know, for my next miracle. And then obviously when he turns and sees them there, there's so much said without anyone actually saying anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like the looks, the glances, everything. This is so much going on. And like he's like he's he's a bit like you're saying kind of like with M, he's like he, like Bond feels like a bit like a naughty boy he's being caught. You know, by the headmaster. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Oh, oh, okay, kind of thing. I, you know, come to my office kind of thing. Um for a good talking to. I think it's it's, it's one of one of my favourite entrances for of, of Bob when he comes to to M's office. Yeah, I Ooh. agree completely. I love the hat tossing, all that. Yeah, right. yeah. Bond Bond is told by M, of course, about this trap that Tatiana is wanting to meet Bond. Uh with the lector, of course, as the object which they're both after. And he sort of passes this lovely arty photo of her. It's like a model shot, isn't it? A bit like the the model shot of Roger Moore in the white tux that uh, is given in autopsy to the goons when he's... <laughs> <laughs> we do not want to make an amaze with the woman, that, that scene. So, yeah. yeah. So in, in this scene, as I mentioned, it's the first time we see uh, Desmond Llewellyn as Q because Peter Burton was unavailable to return. You know, just think about that. This this guy, he could have been his big break. Didn't really see him much in, um, as the quartermaster in Doctor No, but I don't know what he had better to do than film a James Bond film. Goodness me. So Desmond Llewellyn happily accepted the part. Although he's, you know, he'll forever be known as Q, in the credits at this stage, he's still just called Boothroyd. And he's never referred to in the film in dialogue. I think M calls him in, doesn't he? He says to Moneypenny, get the equipment officer. Equipment officer, so, yeah, 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 and he's like just from Q branch. I've, I've, I think my dad always said, "What I used to ask, what does Q stand for?" And he always used to say, "Oh, it's quartermaster, isn't it?" I don't know. It seems a bit basic now. Perhaps the gadgets, a bit more like Skyfall level gadgets, but it's such a gorgeous briefcase, isn't it? Absolutely beautiful, basic but absolutely practical. You know, yeah, like, I'm goading. That, that's, if you're gonna if you're gonna go abroad, you want yeah. <laughs> you know, you want you want some. You know, gold sovereigns. Exploding talcum powder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, not exploding. You know, everyone gets a bit sweaty now in Turkey. <laughs> yeah. It would be funny if talcum powder appeared in a modern day film, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Given, Does anyone like, still have talcum powder? All right. Oh, right. I'm not sure people use that anymore. No, no. When you. When, yeah. My my children use talc now and again. Good lad, <laughs> but, but not in the gorgeous, uh, not in the gorgeous metal cylinder case that that. It oh no! It in anyway, <laughs> um, I mean, for me, I think this this could possibly be my favourite gadget as well of the whole series. I think it's just gorgeous. It's got and uh, I, I, like that Christmas, oh yeah, that Christmas, it was one of the main toys. Um, yeah, that kids yeah, wanted. Yeah. And I mean, which is pretty grim, you know. Mom, I want I want a briefcase that's got a knife in the uh, in the in the lock, yeah, yeah. and it's got a gun in the middle of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's brilliant. And I, and I had a look on eBay to see how much they are, and if there are any available, they're selling at over five hundred pound plus. Wow! I mean, it's yeah. it's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, oh, but but of course they are, because what a gadget! What I remember gadget. as children as well, our, our dad would often go to work with a briefcase 
and he'd, oh. he'd leave them in, in, you know, in his office in the study. And every time you'd kind of play with the combination and the opening <laughs> mechanism, you'd be kind of <laughs> yeah. hoping that maybe one day he's, you know, you're going to get a surprise kind of. It's so nice to fiddle yeah. with them. So I won't oh. yeah. turning them, turning them to the right <laughs> angle to, to, to yeah. make sure that it was safe for Dad yeah. to use in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a great scene. It's just like you know, kind of Bond. That he's actually like he's interested. He's like, wow, this is this is fantastic. And, and and it's such a basic like you just turn the you know the latches this way and that that it's just but it's just again really simple you know kind of filmmaking and kind of Bond's looking looks at M and looks at Q. He's like, oh, wow, this is these are great. And I think that's actually more satisfying than it is when he's given the Aston Martin in, in Goldfinger. Yeah. Feels yeah. like he's like, Oh wow, this, this is genuinely practical and it is it's, it's yeah. fantastic. It's and, but I can wander around with a briefcase, you know, and, and that seems inconspicuous, not a very posh sports car. And as well as that kind of, you know, he's actually given equipment that you would expect a spy to be given. You definitely know, yeah. uh, as well yeah. as the, the you know the rifle that's kind of like it, it sort of folds in on itself in the case because you know at the end of the day I, I, in my whenever i think of bond i think he is glorified assassin you know he, he's yeah. sent to, to go like grunt sort out people out whether it's to kill it. yeah exactly exactly and i think for him to have tools that are actually you know appropriate for him i think he's and, and, and end up being used they're not like tossed straight away as well and i think that's no. what happens in a lot of bond films is it's like q presents him something and then guess what the most you know the, the most perfect situation happens when the, this is the yeah. most appropriate tool to use and it unfolds perfectly but with this he has that you know the, the sniper rifle right until the very end you know and, and then the briefcase he carries with him you know and it has different uses and and, and there's a sort of you know, obviously the talcum powder comes into to effect really nicely, but the fact that you know that that Red Grant knows about the 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 the, the, the gold in there is is again yeah. it's like oh I'll have that you know kind of his own greed gets the better of him. The, the, you know, it's like a, absolutely. You could argue oh it's a lot of plants and payoff going on, but which will always be the case with uh, the Q gadgets. Yeah. But here, like you say, that, they're all in one place. They're all very. Okay easily concealed they're all practical and they're all sort of used in one scene apart from the rifle they're all used in the uh, exchange with grants aren't they pretty much even even the gold sovereigns are used as a bargaining chip so it does appear like yeah. the quality gadgets but they're, they're used realistically and appropriately objectively and professionally <laughs> <laughs> doesn't he make some comment in it about he says that but i don't think i'll need to use this yeah, on this i won't need it this assignment yeah 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 and yet how wrong he was how was yeah. he i think that's important <laughs> yeah it's a nasty little yeah. christmas present I think. remember a it's nasty a little q brand should have been dead long ago <laughs> 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 so we get uh, a money penny scene after that after he's left and there's an awful lot of flirting going on isn't there yeah and I, I and I think I had a long discussion with my wife about the uh, money penny <laughs> and, and how that uh, that we like to think that actually money penny flirts with him but she's actually quite happily married that he comes yeah, into the yeah. office now and then. He, he's like this handsome man. It's just like, and she plays the game. She's done, and, she, she, and she's kind of like flirting. Like back, Samantha but Bob. Really, she's not really that interested. It's just, yeah, it's this little game. That's it. 
And then later on, as, as obviously as, as, as she gets a little bit older, it becomes a little bit sadder because it's all like, I'm waiting for you to propose, oh, no. James, or waiting for you know, yeah. there's all that kind of thing. But yeah, in days is that there's a nice yeah. back and forth once more into the breach, dear friend. Yes, it is, yeah, you know, and it just, it just, it just feels like this it's playful without it being kind of sleazy or desperate. Yeah, you know, you're right. She, she gets upset when he gets married, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you think that's you upset? Right. I think that's more it is like almost pleased for him. I think maybe. Yeah, maybe. But does M comfort her? I think like you're cry, you know, crying at a wedding. Yeah. So maybe she isn't married then. M though. Well, yeah, <laughs> M bafflingly, I don't know what you might be able to tell me. What he he asked. Uh, he wants to have the photo of Tatiana. He he asked that it's be left. I don't know whether it's to annoy Bond or. He it, yeah. You know, he might as well. He might as well have it if he's going to try and recognise someone. <laughs> Don't he wants a quick curve at it himself? Or who knows? I think it's. I think it's. I think it's. It's. It's a scene. It's to undermine Bond. I think it's completely. I know exactly what yeah, yeah. you're up to. You know. I know that you're going to be chatting away to Money Penny. You know. It's like just leave the stuff and go and get get the job done. You know. And I feel that it is that. And I, and it's like you can't get anything past M. You know. He, he knows exactly what you're up to. I I, uh, I like to think that he's comparing Tatiana to the uh, the Japanese girls that he's had a bit of an escapade oh, with, with. Yes, uh, John. Yes, with James that we, we hear about later on in the mission. We that's this that's what I really I want to believe. Yes. We'll come to that later. Let me tell you the secret of the world. Yeah, yeah. So much you want to know more about, but you're glad you don't. You look for the mystery. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Bond, Bond uh, signs the the photograph with the title of the film. Gorgeous Bond theme, I think, playing. It's all, oh, this is class, isn't it? Audience yeah. must be lapping this up. <laughs> Definitely. So we're back in Istanbul, uh, where we eventually get introduced to Kerim Bey, another brilliant, charismatic character. We have the crisp again, another realistic sort of early memories of spying. We have the calling cards with the driver, which we tried to replicate in our Bond films, not very well, that we filmed as kids. <laughs> and then we've again got that extremely conspicuous-looking guy who we've mentioned, who I think is meant to be for the Russians, isn't he? Uh, the guy with the the, be- the beret, the huge circular glasses and the stuff. Bulgarian. Yeah, right. Bulgarian. Bulgarian. Mm. Bulgarian agent working. Yeah, because it was Bulgaria. Was it? Was did Russia not? I'm sure they had maybe had owned it at the time. Like a satellite. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Satellite. Yeah. That's precisely. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course we get Grant's. Grant's also following him. So it's like so spy again. Someone's following someone, and then someone's following mm. him, which happens quite a lot in this film. Right, nice touch with with you know that it's. Karim Bey's son, who's the driver, and you know yeah, when, when you yeah. get to Istanbul, it feels alive. It's like there's, 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 yes, you know this is a period where you know going on holiday to Istanbul wasn't for everyone to do. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. very selective people got to have international travel to see it on the screen, and it is that there's a real kind of you know a, a attempt at making it the, the city feel alive and the, the sound yeah. design the production yeah. the shots the, the way it's edited the music it has like very romantic kind of like oh wow this is bustling very different to any other kind of scenes before that and i think that's what fleming was always about wasn't it, it was always kind of you know these books and some of the films are 
came out when rationing was still in place you know you know so the idea of you traveling the world or having eggs you know and coffee were a big deal (laughs) never mind martini yeah yeah even going to a hotel Mm. i mean i think that's one of the things i really love about yeah one of the things i love about istanbul is just the sense of espionage that's there i think that that's what makes this a real spy thriller is is that you have got one person following another one person uh following them and they're all thinking it's one another and then all in the background it's just spectre playing them like puppets and they don't even yeah, realize yeah. um and i think that they utilize the locations so well in that um especially the stuff in the it's later on but the hagia sophia that they use this stuff in the blue mosque there um but in in the hotels and stuff but even driving through the streets there's this real sense that they utilize istanbul in such a great way i love it it's so good yeah it's you know like in turkey being uh, what did you call it the gateway yeah the gateway to asia was it like, you know, like yeah, yeah, well, yeah yeah and you know there's russia and like it, it, it feels exciting and international and uh, you don't really get that in some of the later ones Yeah, so by now we finally get to meet one of the most charismatic guys in the whole series, you could say, Karen Bay. And we're introduced to him because yet another babe leaves his office, not very discreetly. Um, <laughs> so we, he's, he's introduced as a bit of a playboy, isn't he? Who's He's got all these incredible sort of sons around him. I don't know, is it the same girl who's <laughs> in his office later? Karen Bay. Ali Karen Bay, is it the I same? I think so. Ali getting yeah, 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 right. Ali getting big. Did you be still? Did you guys <laughs> notice um, what what was on what was on Karen Bay's desk? <laughs> no. no, Turkish uh, Playboy. I don't know. <laughs> no, not a bad guess. John. No, uh, a photo of Winston. <laughs> Just going with the theme. <laughs> you know? Oh, good. Oh. Yeah. So weird. So I don't. That's the link uh, between the MI6 agents and you know. Basically sort of saying we're on the west side, I suppose, isn't it? Just carrying on from what uh, Rob was saying last time about um, in Octopussy, India, Station I, this is Station T in Turkey. (laughs) Very original. (laughs) (laughs) Getting on to... uh, (laughs) Must only be 26 countries then. Yeah, there are, yeah, yeah. Unless it's like the periodic table and it's like (laughs) CA or, you know. (laughs) Sorry, that's really sad. Yeah. Is that that what I don't (laughs) Yeah. So getting towards uh, Pedro Armendariz, the actor who played uh, Karen Bay, he's actually Mexican, as I've said. He was recommended to Terence Young by the director John Ford, the famous director of all the Westerns. There's, there's an awful lot of sadness with this, of course. He was experiencing discomfort whilst on location in Istanbul. Uh, Albert Broccoli, actually, his doctor was the same doctor that the Queen of England had rushed rushed this guy over to sort of examine him. Yeah, he was di- he was basically diagnosed with inoperable cancer. So it was all it was all done quite quickly. The, the reason for this was apparently in 1956 he he had a role in a film called The Conqueror, which was produced by Howard Hughes. As an aside, this was filmed in Utah at a time the same time the U.S. government were doing above ground nuclear testing nearby uh, in Nevada. So apparently within 25 years, 
uh, of that in 1956, 91 of the 220 people involved in the production of the film developed cancer, and of those 91, 46 had died. Absolutely astonishing. It's massive, you know. Uh, never heard about this before, yeah. But he was um, extremely professional. He wanted to finish his scenes mainly to provide a legacy for his wife and children, not not just money, but he, well, he might not have known it then, but this is probably a role he'd be best remembered for. The producers were, were very, very keen for that to happen. They had to sort of stop filming before it was finished, essentially, and move to Pinewood. So his scenes were brought forward so that he could, he could complete them without delay, and he had to finish them all off in Pinewood in a two-week period. So even though he was in pain, he, he, he had to continue. So the shots of the gypsy camp, that was all done at Pinewood. I think it was meant to be in uh, Turkey originally. Of course, all I think a lot of the in- internal scenes on the train were done anyway at Pinewood. But yeah, so they had to change quite a lot of that to, to fit it in. But you'd never know, uh, judging, by, judging by the sets and everything, how good they were. When when he could no longer work, though, he did try and struggle on. He It's very sad. He, he returned home to take his own life, basically. He was in a hospital in LA, and he was getting in such bad pain that he managed to smuggle a gun in, and he, he killed himself. There were still apparently a few shots left that uh, Terence Young wanted to do. He used a stunt double, and Young himself, he used the stand-ins. Absolutely incredible stuff, isn't it, really? You talk about nowadays, they might be able to sort of... Vet, you get a lot of this, don't you, with the CGI people in or, or edit people out, and there's lots of deleted scenes they could do for that. But this is proper... Trying to make a Bond film, and this is going on. It shows why Terence Young must have had such a great way with the actors and uh, the production staff. Yeah. Lovely touch, uh, of course, that his son played El Presidente in Licence to Kill 25 years later. Absolutely. Beautiful. I assume you all agree that Pedro Emendares is is a superb, like, a bit like Draco would be in on a Majesty's Secret Service. So I sort of got them mixed up a bit maybe as a kid, but they're both sort of lads on tour, really proper you'd want to have a drink with them. But also really, really good at the jobs. Not like M. He's, he's a bit. The more minute you get <laughs> the the minute you Box get a Bond ally who's a bit older with a side parting and a mustache, you know that this guy will <laughs> be a player. You've got yeah. you've got um, you've got Kerin Bay, you've got Draco, and you've got Columbo, and you would know all three. Yeah. You'd have a flipping yeah. good time with, wouldn't you, on a night out? So it's just it, that maybe that is what we need in the new Daniel Craig films. Maybe we need an ally who's a bit older with those three, uh, those three things, <laughs> and we're going to have a fun time. Maybe what that's about the, the chap thing. that um, Halle Berry meets up with in Die Another Day? That that guy in Cuba. Oh yeah, he might. Oh, he's that, oozing that old the cigar. Yeah, oh, he's absolutely. Lovely. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he tried. <laughs> he's got it's such a lovely face, Karen Bay, hasn't he? So warm and friendly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's he's a great, he's a great character, and I think, like you say, he's very charismatic, and he has like he has gravitas. He, he's absolutely believed that he is in charge of this network, and he has you know the, what is it the, the the best security is blood, and you know he's got this yeah. Not only has it, you know, he employs, you know, family's really important to him. And yeah, like you say, he's that kind of that older kind of character who comes in who's wise of the world 
of, of spying because you know it's quite clear that uh, that in Istanbul everyone knows that everyone else is spying on everyone else. You know, <laughs> there's no yeah, kind of yeah. pretend, <laughs> pretend that that we're going to kind of you know there's cars following other cars. It goes through that wonderful set, you know, with, the, with under was it like a reservoir or the underground? Oh or, yeah, the um, yeah, and then with the with the um, telescope and stuff. It's just it's just yeah, it's it's great, and you know, he's not really that. Um, flustered when they tried to kill him you know he's like this is part of yeah. the course but for what i'm doing he shares so many like the audience. as well the two of them yeah uh, he does yeah yeah go through a lot together i was yeah. gonna say he's like the audience's that that insight adds, into how um, the spy world works almost and the amount that he shares with bond i think probably adds weight to when he actually dies yeah you feel yeah, it yeah. because you've yeah, seen yeah. that they've built Certainly. a connection together Before and also that we Bond sort of get cares enough that. about that character to, to you know to save his uh, was it the cigarette filter and a few other things for his son when he comes up meets him at the tray. Oh, the absolute son, of course, calls him all his son. Mm, just look like yeah, so he um, Bond then goes uh, to this lovely hotel and like I say, it was quite a nice thing for people to go and look at what it would be like for someone on on this in this amazing room. Bond manages to get switched to the the honeymoon suite, which is again, you know, there is more humour than I remembered in in the film, which is quite a nice touch. We then have the bomb theme. I don't know whether I can't decide whether it's a bit overblown. That it's like amazing version of the bomb oh, theme, it's- but it's just it's just set to Bond looking for bugs, really. Which we which we actually copied in one of our bomb themes. I mean, but it. <laughs> I mean, firstly, with that, the whole honeymoon suite thing. When I watched it this time, I wondered if that was actually all part of the plan. Yeah, yeah, I wondered that. Yeah. So I, I'd never picked up on this before, but I wondered if it was they deliberately put bugs there because they because they knew he was going to move. Yeah. And yeah. because it's in the honeymoon suite is where they're going to record him. I, that's that's. Yeah. But I've never it's interpreted bigger, isn't it? it like that. So there's more room for them to to spy on him and stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Regarding the theme tune, it's the most inappropriate use of the theme tune <laughs> any Bond film. I mean, he's, he's walking around his room. I mean, and we've got... And then we've not even got, like, a little mellow spy version. We've got the fully blown one. You know, it's like... It's not It's not like in GoldenEye where he's firing his piton from his belt and he's flying yeah, yeah, across yeah. the Kremlin or something. You know, we're, we're talking about... However, imagine the scene without the music. Well, yeah, it would have been yeah. cut, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I wish it had not used it there, to be honest. <laughs> so, me, meanwhile, we've got um, Grant has killed killed the, the Russian spy chap, or Bulgarian. No, 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 a different one, a different one. And he's trying to frame Bond, and then we get the the famous line when you see him with Kleb in the car: "The Cold War in Istanbul will not remain cold very much longer." It's my best Scottish-Russian female impression. <laughs> very, very good, very Robbie Coltrane. <laughs> yeah, well, it was saying like that, the guy in uh, Octopus who does the bomber. Turn it a quarter to three degrees clockwise. You're meant to be Russian, pal. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really. I don't know if you watched Luther, but he's that guy in Octopus. Oh yes, turns out, ends up being Shank. I don't know if you. We yeah. we re- I, we realised this. Surprised by that. We were watching it. Yeah, um, and and the the general from uh, Return of the Jedi. But uh, yes, 
then we then we see uh, Karen Bay trying to get some work done. I think his his babe is is on his bed and he he's funny to let. Overjoyed and all this, yeah, it's superb. She's trying to definitely, desperately get his attention, yeah. and he's he's not loving it, is he? Back to no. the salt mine. Yeah, it's <laughs> quite bad. He's it's, 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 it's up there with one of the more offensive things. To uh, it's so hard, so hard done by, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Yeah, he's done all right, but he might not. I, mean, I was just going to say, he's obviously wife, lived a great life. You know, well, I don't know, but but you know, she she's lovely. And, yes. and then, like, <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna look at my paperwork instead. You know, it does spring up quite quick suddenly, though. It's it's won over quite suddenly. I thought, yeah, the something something sparks in his head. He thinks, actually, yeah, go on, uh, yeah, go on, lad. yeah. We've got a bit of time here. Yeah. But then but then we get the the Russians retaliate by bombing his office. Of course, it, it, I, I suppose that. Might might have been quite shocking for audiences. It's almost like it's almost like terrorism, isn't it, at that stage? And blaming governments on each other for doing mm. doing these kind of things. And then that leads us to, as we've mentioned, the that glorious underground boat trip underneath uh, the Russian consulate, which is just it's so well shot. Yeah. We, again, the, you can imagine when you're in like people in the sixties watching that, like, oh wow, this is incredible. This feels like I'm I'm with the spies and I'm in the underground world and. Not many people know this this exists, and we're getting to see it with Karen Bay and Bond. Yeah, and they've just been to Jamaica with him in Doctor No, and then one year later they're down in dungeons, oh, yeah. kind of. I think it's amazing the contrast between the two locations that you're seeing him across the world in just two films, still wearing yeah. gorgeous crisp suits. It's, it's oh, the, so the clothes so on offer. It's lovely. I to think watch. we've got to mention the suits. I think you might have mentioned it early on, Chris, but the grey, the grey Connery suit, the the grey OK Connery suit is just to die for isn't it no time to die so um they then they then managed to uh, go, go up to that gorgeous periscope type thing they're quite lucky that no one's no one's spotted it already have they and it's basically right under the the russian consulate and then there's a bit of it's sort of like a you know the roger moore connery era comment about a girl that i didn't realize was was in the from which we'd love at this day. From this angle, things are shaping up nicely, because <laughs> he obviously just saw mm. Tatiana at that stage. It's Those weren't her angle. legs, apparently. No, oh, is weren't. that true? Yeah, Terence Young didn't like her legs, so he <laughs> got someone else to stand in for, her, for that shot. Right. <laughs> Not sure about Terence Young, yeah. No wonder she retired yeah. from acting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like your legs, I don't like your voice, get out. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh dear! Nice music though. When we we see Krilenko, you're like, dun, dun. oh yeah, yeah, Krilenko. That's all for part two. But join us in part three, where we visit the gypsy camp, discuss blatant product placements, and sit back on the Orient Express, where Grant has caught up in Bond and Tatiana. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.